Welcome to the Tax Security Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Jay Young. Uh, who do we have here with us today? Oh, uh, this is Wen Zhang. I've been on the show before. Uh, we've been working together for how long now? You should know me. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Not to, A little while. Let's just yeah. say that. But welcome back to the, to the show. And we have another visitor. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Pavel Cetzat. I'm and from Krakow VPN team. So I'm with Tux since like five years almost. Are you in Krakow right now? No, I'm at Cisco Live Vegas. Cisco Live Vegas. Is it the first time you've been here in Vegas? Yeah, it's first time and it's really cool. Comparing and, and to, to, to Europe, it's, it's amazing. And tell us what you're doing here at Cisco Live. So I'm having a tech trial on FlexVPN. It's still uh, not done. It's tomorrow. So yeah, <laughs> we're getting ready. Yeah, make the two of us. Yeah, so we're on this together. Okay, great. So, have you had any stories or, or fun things that have occurred here um, during yes. your time? Yeah. So, actually, we were preparing the demo for the session, and it it was about um, Flex VPN on uh, iPhone, and this, the authentication that we were doing was using certificates. And what we did, we configured a trust point on Cisco IOS router. And we use the default, I use the default hashing to generate a certificate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what is that default? So the default is MD5. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> As we know, it's, it, it's pretty old um, and vulnerable. So why is that a problem? Can't we just use an old thing? Like, lots of people like old cars and driving them around. So Not yeah, what I did, I, I tried to connect, but the iPhone just warned me that the, the certificate uh, hashing algorithm is not secure enough. It's not yeah. secure enough. As a matter of fact, I, the iPhone is smart enough to not even accept the certificate as a root CA. Yeah. Okay. And it actually took us a little while <laughs> to figure out what was going on. Uh, there was not a whole lot of debugs. Uh, but as soon as we break the, the certificate apart, you know, we look at all the different attributes, we said, huh, this looks a little suspicious. You know, let's try a different algorithm. And we went with SHA-2, and the uh, certificate got installed, no problem. Okay. So for those uh, listeners out there who are wondering, what is a hash? Like, what's it used for in, um, in a certificate? Why do we use it? Well, hash, I uh, used to use this analogy. You know, it may not be the most accurate. It's sort of a meat grinder. So. Ooh. You throw a, a piece of steak in there, uh, out comes a, a very unique looking uh, uh, ground beef. Mm, <laughs> it's delicious. All, it's <laughs> is that why it's called hash, beef hash? Beef hash. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little gross. <laughs> okay, and what's special about this well, unique looking piece of meat? Well, in all seriousness, right, a hash is basically a cryptographic operation where uh, unique input will be, will guarantee to produce unique output. And the hash is typically fixed in size. Uh, some of the common hash algorithms that we all know, we all hear about MD5, you know, being one of them that we just talked about, you know, and also SHA-1. Uh, and we also have some of the newer, more secure algorithms. Uh, they are called SHA-2. SHA-2. What, what happened to SHA-1? SHA was SHA-1. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, so just 
getting this m m tube of meat, right, is how is that important when you come towards certificates? Well, well, maybe we can even take a step back, right? What are certificates for listeners who may not be familiar, right? What makes up a certificate? What are the key components that makes up the security properties? Your certificate, you can view it as a driver's license. Yeah. <coughs> and what's right. on a driver's license? It's, it's a name, right? It's a name. It's got everything about this individual who owns the driver's license. Mm-hmm. But what's more important is the fact that you cannot forge, at least not easily, a driver's license. We mm. all know, you know, kids, they have fake driver's license so that they can get A little bit liquor. of booze. Mm. Exactly, right. But that never happened. <laughs> uh, forging it to the point that, uh, you know, the person looking at that driver's license and say, huh, that looks like a legit license is actually not that trivial. Well, looks like we have a couple uh, uh, folks just joining us. Okay, can you introduce yourself? Hey, um, my name is Frederick Detienne, um, distinguished engineer. I work from the Brussels stack. I've known Wen, Pavel, and, and you actually for a very long time. <laughs> quite, quite some time, yes. Yes, too long maybe. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about um, how Pavel was uh, trying to install a certificate, but it was getting rejected because there was a MD5 hash. And then he switched it to SHA-2, and, and now it was able to be installed. So t can you give us a... Why, why is the, that a problem now? And, and the industry seems to be moving towards SHA-2 certificates. Can you give us a brief overview of what, what's going to happen over the next couple months? Yep. So, <coughs> essentially, MD5 and SHA, SHA, so what we call SHA, SHA1, SHA2, all right, are just hash algorithms. They are pretty much like checksums, like the, you know, the, the CRC checksum in an IP packet. They are just more secure in the sense that there is no really, no mathematical relationship between the input and the output. There is no way to go back from the hash back to the data. If you modify slightly the data, you get a totally different hash. Um, by comparison, if you take a CRC, right, if you just modify one byte and you increase it by, by one, one of the bytes of the data, what you get is that you actually decrease the CRC by one. If you decrease by one, one of the bytes of, the, of an IP packet, you increase the CRC by one. This is why we can recompute the CRC after not so quickly, for instance. We know exactly how we're going to touch the packet and how to modify it. So MD5 and SHA, they are way more secure than that. You can't have this kind of relationship. But uh, the cryptographers have found ways to generate what is called collisions. Even though the MD5 output is very large, they are now able to take a piece of data that has the same hash as the, the data you signed with MD5. So it's a very complex attack. It's, uh, it takes time. It takes a lot of CPU and resources and uh, manual work to, uh, to achieve that. So it's not easy to achieve on, on packets uh, that fly on the wire very rapidly. But it is, uh, it give, you know, with certificates that have lifetimes of about a year, these collision attacks, actually, they become realistic. And this is why MD5 is now deprecated. SHA is not yet there, SHA-1, but it will get there soon. And everybody recommends SHA-2 for that reason. So are you saying with this MD5 collision, somebody can forge a certificate? That's right. That's exactly right. It's as if you signed a document, like with your, you know, your handscript manuscript signature, and then at one point the document were augmented, uh, leaving your signature at the bottom. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'd been hearing a lot of uh, press about how 
CAs are no longer issuing SHA-1 certificates, they're only issuing SHA-2 certificates, and how the web browsers are going to start rejecting even valid certificates with that SHA-1. I believe that's actually happening fairly soon, uh, if not the end of this year. I heard uh, of it too. Definitely the beginning of next year, that would be uh, 2018. Uh, all the browser vendors, all the major ones, uh, Firefox, Chrome, um, Microsoft, they have all made announcements about their browsers will no longer accept certificates signed by SHA-1. Yeah. Now, now no this, isn't, this isn't really a big, big deal for those uh, websites out there. Or if you try to obtain a certificate from GoDaddy or Thought or VeriSign, because they have long, long since switched over to issuing SHA-2 certificates. But the people that will really experience the biggest impact will be people that are running their own PKI infrastructure, and they haven't made that change over to issuing certificates with SHA-2. So that's just a tip to, when you go through your network, take a look at where are your certificates coming from, where are they being used, and will they be affected by this? Um, even, even more from just SSL, the code that is signed with a certificate, and especially driver code, is Microsoft and Apple and whatnot, they, uh, they require kernel extensions or drivers to be signed before they'll be accepted and loaded into the kernel. So we're actually going to see, um, come January 18th, uh, Microsoft is going to start rejecting drivers that were even signed and valid with a SHA-1 certificate. And uh, now they need to be signed with a SHA-2. So we're going to see some f impact, some fallout of things breaking that you never even thought PKI or certificates were involved with. So just a, just a heads up out there. Yeah. We'll put, we'll it, put a link to some of that in the, yeah. case, in the, in the, the show, show notes. notes. It's, it's kind of Y2K every day now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with that happening, I suppose uh, there would have to be two things you need to do. One you have to know whether you're impacted by it, right? So how, you know, how do our listeners uh, check for their PKI environments to see if they're impacted or not? And if they're impacted, I guess that leads to, you know, the mitigation, right? Uh, I have a certificate, or worse, I have hundreds of certificates signed by SHA-1. Am I dead in the water coming January 1st, 2018? What should I do? That's right. You should be concerned at least. So now this being said, it will only affect you if you connect to a public infrastructure. So if you are a, uh, a web server, right? If you, if you expose a web service of some sort, then definitely you, you are into troubles. If, um, if, however, it's a private crypto, like a, an IPsec infrastructure or private SSL infrastructure, the, the problem is lesser in the sense that network operations will not be affected. But if you're listening to this and you do not take action, know that your security is being affected. So your services are not going to stop if you're just running in isolation, um, but but the security risk is there. Shawon, the problem is a little lesser, but still uh, nonetheless present. And you know, by the you know, in the next couple of years, we can really expect attacks, serious attacks happening on Shawon. Mm -hmm. So just as a, a clarification point, one one thing Fred mentioned was that. Uh, Private uses of the SHA-1 uh, certificates would not be impacted, but uh, that's only if you are using non-browser-based, right? So just consider anything that goes on with the browser or maybe even um, any app that uses the built-in web browser for any of its 
display or format will still require the validation of the SHA-2 certificates. Things like um, individual applications like a VPN client or um, uh, iOS implementation, they are not implementing the checks at the same rate as what the, the browser forums have selected to do. So they may not be right. um, evaluated. That's one thing to consider when you're doing your site survey of what certificates you have deployed and, and what technologies are using PKI. Well, so with that said, uh, there's a good reason why these vendors are deprecating SHA-1 support. So even though you may not be impacted by it, it's still uh, something that you want to think about, something you want to plan. Maybe you're not impacted right now, but it is a real threat. Uh, you should definitely think about migrating. So we've had this migration away from SHA MD5 and SHA-1 to SHA-2 for hashing. Surely there's other cryptographic operations where we're also making that, that, that change from a low security to a high security. Uh, are there any uh, algorithms or whatnot that, that are recommended by the industry? Yeah, absolutely. So um, RSA, uh, for one, and uh, especially Diffie-Hellman, actually saw so all the modular operations that we are familiar with that used to operate on low-bit uh, uh, moduli. So like, uh, you know, Diffie-Hellman Group 1, for instance, 700 bits modulus, uh, or Diffie-Hellman Group 2, 1024-bit modulus, these are known to be broken. We know that the NSA uh, uh, managed to factor some of the elements. They're able to break them almost in real time. Now, the, uh, the, the, the cure for that is currently to go toward elliptic curves. So ACDH, elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman, which is the, the major recommendation now. The... The calculation, the, the operations that have to be performed are lighter. The security level is better. The drawback with ECDH, so, so currently th this is a must-do, right? There is hardly no choice uh, but to go toward elliptic curve. But we already know that in the next few years, we will have to get away from elliptic curve. Uh, Diffie-Hellman because it is sensitive to quantum cryptography. So I, I think that what we're seeing has always been there as we migrated from DES to 3DES, from 3DES to AES, from, from Diffie-Hellman classic to Diffie-Hellman elliptic curve. We are going toward new key exchange algorithm that, have, that will have to be immune against uh, quantum cryptography. So change is going to be constant. That's yeah. the only thing constant. Yeah, I think uh, for our listeners who are not familiar with all the different algorithms and their strength, um, they can reference our next generation encryption document on CCO. That is a very good single source of truth, at least for now. Fairly accurate, that reflects what is good enough, what is definitely something you don't want to use, what is the strongest that we have in the market, uh, that would be a, a good source. That's right. Everybody to reference. Mm -hmm. and, and for those who do not like the complexity but still have to implement a VPN, the, the default values that we have implemented in IGV2, so those that are used by FlexVPN but IGV2 in general, the defaults are high enough that they are they beat any standard. So essentially there is no, the Diffie-Hellman group there, the minimum that we test with is Diffie-Hellman group 5 which happens to be just above what the NSA can break. So those defaults are good. They are meant to evolve over time. You, can, you can't stick with them. And unless you're very interested in the detail, they are safe to go with. Right. Yeah, so actually, we have smart defaults for IGV2, which makes the, the configuration very simple and short. So yeah. Yeah. You, you end up spending less time configuring how to encrypt something and more time spending what you want to encrypt. That's right. 
your security policy is uh, so definitely the crypto suite is part of the security policy but it's also very arcane many of us are not so interested in that so this is why we made those default okay so tying back to what we originally opened up with pavel was having a certificate he went from md5 to sha2 in a certificate so is that good is that strong is that sweet b compliant so MD5 is definitely uh, not recommended anymore by NIST, all right, and no, by, by any standard organization in the world. SHA-1 is still tolerated for data packet signature, so the packets on the wire, because as we refresh the key every hour, we do not give the attacker physical time to actually break the, the, neither the Diffie-Hellman nor the, uh, the SHA uh, algorithm itself. So that's a, that's a pretty good one. But for everything that is long-term, SHA-1 is deprecated and so is MD5. MD5 has been dead for, for a long time. We never made a lot of noise about it. SHA-1 really took over pretty silently. But now SHA-1 is reaching the end of its life. And definitely it is not accepted by NIST anymore for certificates. I think especially for the, for the new deployments, uh, we should think about uh, picking the recommended uh, algorithms, but also look into the future, yes. That's right. Picking SHA-1 might be not a good option for the... Even for the even in SHA-2, there are multiple sub-options like SHA-2, 256, 384, and 5.12 bits. The the highest would be recommended at the moment. So mm-hmm. so most, most certificate providers, the big companies like Amazon, Google, they have already switched over to uh, elliptic curve certificates and uh, a SHA-2, cert- SHA-2 certificates. So as we all know, uh, cryptographic operations, they probably don't come free. So how much more expensive are we looking at when we switch from SHA-1 to, say, the strongest SHA-2, 512? Is it, is it negligible? Uh, should our listeners concern, be concerned about performance? So they should, always. Um, the one of the direct effect is there is an overhead to the packets as you sign with SHA-2 uh, versus SHA-1. Now, we don't include the entire SHA-2 hash into each packet. That would be very long. The overhead would be really dramatic. So we trim this off, which is okay. From a data plane standpoint, because of the uh, impact, SHA-2 is really not what we would recommend. We would rather recommend AES-GCM, which is a sign encryption method where we sign and actually we hash the packet and we encrypt it in one single operation. So AES-GCM would be the recommendation for certificates because this is an operation you do once in the beginning of the session. Once you're authenticated, you never have to compute the SHA-2 exchange. You don't even have to exchange that message anymore. Uh, the, the, The impact is pretty negligible. Great. Now, uh, one thing we may want to note is not all of our platforms support these algorithms today. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Some of the legacy ones most certainly uh, don't support them. For example, ISRG ones, 7200 with the legacy crypto engines, 6500, 7600. So in order to get SweetB support, you're going to have to move to something a bit more recent. And we have a document out there that I, th- I believe you helped That's write. That's right, yes. Uh, uh, it did take me a while to compile a list. That, that list is still growing as we speak. Uh, as we learn more about new algorithm support, uh, we will update the document. But as of now, it is very accurate. Uh, to reflect what versions of software, what platform will support these algorithms. Yeah, if we, if we look at the recent attacks, uh, they exceed what we could imagine in science fiction. All right, essentially data is wiretapped 
uh, across the entire internet. We have transatlantic transatlantic uh, links under tabs. Uh, some of these government level attackers have the ways to store data, the whole internet data for three or four days. We're talking about like exabytes of you know storage. And, and they just don't store it for fun. They actually do, they go through decryption. And they go through decryption because they, they can attack the weakest algorithms, either actively or passively. So skipping browser upgrades, not recommended. Uh, trying to circumvent the, the limitations that, that uh, come from those security upgrades, not recommended. If you're going to do that, just disable encryption altogether. It will just be easier. Yeah, yeah as a matter of fact, I think here in TAC, we actually get to see some of these attack attempts, yep, right, uh, from you know countries that we shall now name, uh, certain packets, right, that uh, bear a very strong signature of man in the middle attack for IPv1, for example. Yep, right. We we definitely see those. Uh, that would be one reason for you know folks to think about, uh, you know, migrating away from IPv1, not just the algorithms, right, but from a protocol that's known to be susceptible to certain type of attacks. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, to, uh, onto IV2. Um, any migration strategy best practices that you guys can think of uh, that we can share? Well, what are some of the things that you know people really should be doing? Uh, you know, and well, uh, I think it would also be good to talk about you know things that they definitely should not be doing. So the first thing is right um, where you're evaluating your use of where where are you using PKI? Is it appropriate for you to own your own PKI infrastructure? Because PKI operating and maintaining securely a PKI is a very complicated, very uh, complex undertaking, right? If you can integrate into an existing PKI, something like GoDaddy or Thought, that would be a good option to do because it, it, it reduces a lot of work for you and they have a huge infrastructure which supports revocation checking and um, you know online certificate status protocols. That there's a whole bunch of infrastructure that you need to keep available to be able to do crypto very well. So, yeah. so um, where you can stick with an existing infrastructure that's maintained and, and hosted for you, that may be a better approach. I think for PKI, it's particularly true in the sense that it's such a critical infrastructure that you have to think about all the potential problems that can come with maintaining your own uh, PKI infra. For example, how are you backing up your private keys, right? Here, often when we post that question, there goes the, uh-oh What, what to back up? Yeah, what, what is it that we need to back up? <laughs> can well, we, can, hard didn't drives we could go back bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, how do you, uh, and, and in theory, right, you really should uh, maintain PKI using temper-resistant hardware, right? Most people don't. You know, they buy a regular server, could be a very powerful server, but it's still it's hard just drives. A, the R RSA key is in a file in clear text it's on the a thing. File. Ideally, somewhere in the cloud, <laughs> at the cloud SP that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are risks about yeah. losing the keys, right? So there's the, the risk of the key being stolen by mm -hmm. the bad guys, mm -hmm. right? That's yeah. not good. Uh, it's also not good when your hard drive crashes and you don't have the private key anymore. Mm -hmm. That's right. So this being said, I'd like to, um, to, to 
maybe put some context into this. We're really talking about the majority of the users whose core business is not into security and really security is more a need rather than uh, a want, if you see what I mean. The, the Truly, the most secure PKI infra are the, the well-managed private PKI infra. Why? Because it, it, it does not offer the attacker a central point of attack. All right, like Godaddy could be a very good target for uh, a large attacker and Godaddy or anybody else, right? So I think that um, if you can afford the PKI infra uh, totally, the management, the cost of the hardware, the securization of the hardware and the keys, the backup, the, the, the full monty of, you know, well-managed And well -managed the people PKI, to run it, right? And the people to run it, exactly, the brain power. That, the, that's the best you can have. For the majority of people, to your point, I think that using a using a third-party, well-trusted and well-managed PKI infra, ideally something in your own country if you can afford, because things happen across countries, um, that's probably the second best option. And that's probably the most applicable option at large for most people. And, and then comes possibly using pre-shared key and a radius server, which comes, you know, which is easy to manage, uh, easy to change, doesn't require too much knowledge. That's maybe like a, a third backup solution. So if you can stay fully private, it's good because it, it increases the, uh, the complexity of an attacker, right? They have to target each individual PKIs, so each individual infra one by one, so it increases the amount of work. But if it's not very well managed, that doesn't really increase their task. Second best, a public infra, well-managed public infra in your country, safe from inter-country relationship. Third option, maybe maybe choose something else than certificate for your specific use case, especially if you have hub and spoke networks like IPsec, etc. Um, you can use Radius, Radius and passwords, well-managed yeah. passwords. Yeah. Great. I think the the main takeaway is. Uh, something to think about, right? It's not trivial, it's not simple. You not really all. need to look at the different uh, failure scenarios, yep. uh, recovery uh, options, uh, and, and oftentimes it takes a different kind of expertise yes. when it comes to maintaining a PKI compared to general network security. Well, Absolutely. system administration. System administration, LDAP, for example, Yep. right? Uh, and those are the kind of things and uh, resources that you're going to have to put into yes. to really be able to properly maintain a Look, PKI infra. Any breach anywhere in the system is a breach on the entire system. Right? You don't just break an LDAP or um, you know, an Active Directory server. You actually break the entire system when you get there. You don't break a certificate, you break the system. So, so the, the weakest point is the entry point. So you have to really manage it well end-to-end. -end. No, this being said, I wouldn't like to scare or, or auditors against PKI. Um, it is in the whole range, right? Having a wildcard pre-shared key is probably the worst that you can do, or no crypto, the worst that you can do. A little crypto still makes it more difficult for the attacker. It may not be as difficult as you would like it to be, but definitely more difficult. There is a price to the attack. So wildcard pre-shared key being, being the worst case, um, you know, even a simply managed PKI is still better than a wildcard pre-shared key. So, and, and that becomes a lot easier to manage as well from a secure standpoint. So I think that we also have to be realistic or of, of the cost versus, of the cost of the attack versus the, 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 you know, the relevance of the data that can be stolen. You need to protect yourself against the attacker that is relevant to your business. And that's also a key element. Yeah. All right. So closing, closing up. When you said the main point was PKI is very complicated to roll your own, it takes a lot of expertise. But 
there is this big change coming within PKI where SHA and MD5 are being deprecated and requiring SHA2. So you've got to keep an eye out for that. And that could be potentially what causes things to break in the middle of the night come next year. Um, yep. So SHA2 is the newfangled thing. Is there anything new, even newer than SHA2? In terms of hash, not much. Well, there is a SHA-3 that is work in progress. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe we could check this for next session and uh, discuss about it. But it's, you know, it will come as a next hash algorithm and not much to know about it. Mm -hmm. In terms of key exchange, there is an algorithm called New Hope, uh, currently being tested and implemented by, uh, by Google, that is supposed to replace elliptic curve. What we really have to admire is that there is kind of a fallback to elliptic curve. So even if New Hope fails in its test, right? I mean, like we discover an attack or too difficult to implement or uh, whatever happens to it, the security of New Hope will be at least as good as elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman. Mm -hmm. And this New Hope, that's quantum computer resistant? Yes, that's the goal. Ah, that's good. So, which means a lot more work for my crypto session next year. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you, Fred. Thank you, Pavel. Thank you, Wen. And uh, we'll wrap up. This Thanks. is Tech Security Podcast. Thank you.